0: Welcome to episode 192 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston.
1: Okay, welcome back to another episode. I am in the middle of a week where I have six IEP meetings that I have to have and I am the case manager on five of the six, which, if you've listened to other episodes, is not my favorite thing to do virtually. <laughs> it's sure. been a little bit rough, so I wanted to give some tips because it's pretty common to have to be the case manager. And fun fact, SLPs are the only related service provider that gets to be case managers. Oh, so really? Yes, because when a kid just has occupational therapy... The occupational therapist isn't the case manager. And when they just have physical therapy, the uh, physical therapist is not the case manager. They save that for us, as far as I know. (laughs) So... Us, the lucky ones, get to do that when our kids only have speech. And virtually, it can be a challenge. So some things that I have found that helped is to make sure that I had a school directory with everyone's emails so I wasn't trying to search and find and see who had what teacher and and what their email was. So that's been helpful. And then I have my um, make sure that you have the front office email, phone number, So when you're, you know, waiting for everyone to connect and no one's connecting, you can hurry (laughs) and call and see what's going on. And along with that, just having people that you know you can count on that are in your in-person people to do things like make the copies for the IEP, make sure you have all of the school paperwork and the parent rights and all of those things that have to be on paper, that there's someone who is your person that does that part for you. And then something new that I've done this year that has been so helpful is the school district added me to their school calendar so I can see all yes. of the field trips and the administrator meetings and the staff meetings and all of that is on that calendar so before I even start to try and schedule an IEP I can see kind of what's going to work and what's not and then I can send out calendar invites to the whole team from that calendar as well so everyone's on the same page so it's going okay. It's still not my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm still have the problem of nobody answered my phone because it says it's from Utah and they're in California. (laughs) But
0: as far
1: as parents, but it's, those are some things that have definitely made it easier this year.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine trying to, lead an IEP meeting oh, through telepractice
1: yeah yeah and then doing it like in a state that you haven't worked right. in before on an IEP system that is probably new to you that year and right. with no one really showing or telling you how to do any of it
0: <laughs> <laughs> not that this has happened to you
1: it's just no no hypothetically
0: no. This, yeah this is yeah what could happen
1: I mean luckily most like Most principals have sat in almost all of them Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: they can be a good guide of like, did I forget anything? Did I check all the boxes and all things like that? And I love it in my school district, they actually have the principal be the note taker for the IEP because they have to sit there anyways and they don't have a big part of it other than they have to be there as the administrator. So I thought that was a perfect role for the administrator to do if if you can talk them into it or mention it as an idea, I think that's great.
0: Years ago, I had a principal. Every, every time we had an IEP meeting, it was usually in the afternoon, late, or you know, right after school, late afternoon. He would fall asleep every single time. <laughs> he would be nodding off. So I like, you know, we should have thought we should have had him take all the notes. You take now the that notes. would have kept him engaged. <laughs> he would just. Be over there nodding off you know catching him trying to catch himself and people elbowing him and kicking him under the table it was not good but yeah every single time
1: i can't imagine being a parent in that meeting and having the principal fall asleep oh
0: (laughs) it was one time it was so bad he fell asleep he was actually snoring and then you know when you when you fall asleep in a situation like that and you kind of halfway asleep and halfway dreaming and you realize you're not in your bed, but you're in a meeting and you kind of jump. Yeah. (laughs) He he jumped and almost fell out of his chair. (laughs) So he tried to do better after that because he was really embarrassed. Oh, no. Anyway. We could write a book about all those things. All
1: of the all of the things we've seen.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So, someone who's seen some things. Who who do yes. we have on today?
1: Yep, we have Erica Capellini, and we actually met her sharing an Uber in um, at the ASHA conference from the. Um,
0: Convention Center? Sig
1: 18. Sig 18 dinner. We shared an Uber and got to know her and are glad to have her back. And she works for Pediatric Developmental Services and um, oversees their virtual services there. So we are excited to talk to her. We want to congratulate Presence for reaching the incredible milestone of 6 million remote evaluations and teletherapy sessions. Presence is a pioneer in special education and mental health teletherapy, and they're making a real impact in solving the national shortage of school clinicians, with nearly 10,000 pre-K to 12th grade schools supported across the nation. At Presence, they're on a mission to empower schools and clinicians by breaking down the traditional barriers to success through their elevated approach to teletherapy. As a trusted partner and advocate for clinicians since 2009, Presence offers its large community of teletherapy providers access to an award-winning platform with assessment and therapy materials, continuing education, and networking opportunities to help them succeed. Through ongoing, clinically-led resources and support, Presence is meeting the needs and creating career opportunities for clinicians today, wherever they are. Presence is teletherapy elevated. Learn more at Presence.com. Hey, Erica, welcome to the podcast. Um, tell us about how you ended up in speech-language pathology.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I'll say how I came to speech-language pathology was a little bit probably of a messy story and kind of had a lot of twists and turns. And one of my favorite quotes is from Courtney Newman, and it's, Your path is beautiful and crooked and just as it should be. I have a little figure on my kitchen window that I look at every day and I say, Yep, that pretty much sums up my life. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you. Um, yeah, so I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do and actually was thinking pre-med and everything. And I started college down at James Madison University, and my dad happened to be looking at this career handbook. And he said, Erica, you should look into being a speech-language pathologist. I think it would be a great match because I've always liked science, but also language and working with people and as I looked at it, I said, yeah, this actually might be good. So I took the intro class and was sold. Um, yes, this is a good combination for me and everything. But I still was had to take a lot of psychology classes as so I was definitely going to do a psych minor. and then I I ended up sort of switching into psychology major. And my last semester, I didn't take any communication sciences and disorders classes and decided that I was going to go to grad school for school psychology. So I started the doctoral program down at University of North Carolina and attended for one semester and realized, nope, this was not for me. So I it was too much testing and placement. And yeah. even I love all of the assessment and everything that we do for our job. I do feel like I want to then use those results and, and work with the the client, right. not just
1: pass them off to someone else to work with them and see you in three years when I test you again. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> yeah. And how they had uh, approached school psychology was, oh, it's a lot of collaboration and everything. And I just wasn't really seeing that that was happening like yeah. a meet a meeting even a meeting every couple months it was still not going to do it for me I needed more of that ongoing and seeing the progress being made yeah firsthand and and being part of that that's Mm -hmm. the cool thing about our our job I think is touching those lives in in a more personal uh, you know format so anyway I so I came back to uh, the Lehigh Valley I'm from Pennsylvania and I actually started a little uh, stint with the law career, considered being a lawyer, ended up going back into kind of the psychology route and was a mental health worker for a, um, a small company in, and I was a mental health worker for a small education center, I'll say, for preschoolers. And when the education director found out that I had a background in speech, she said, "Ooh, we need you. So she was in charge <laughs> of the birth to three early intervention program. And with that, to be a special instructor in Pennsylvania, you only need to have your bachelor's. So at least back at the beginning. So... I was a special instructor for language but I had gone I said I don't know let me see what this is all about so I went to observe someone who was just doing like special instruction and I went with her into the home and just said yes this is what I want to do so from there I applied to grad school got in I switched to the preschool early intervention program at the intermediate unit I don't know if people mm-hmm. are that. So, um, units are in Pennsylvania and they kind of service multiple school districts. So for example, if there's like an autistic support or a hearing support program that not one, that one district doesn't have enough kids that would attend, it's kind of like a regional program. So that's the intermediate units for that, but in Pennsylvania, they're responsible for the preschool programs as well. So I got excellent support and everything while I was going to grad school. I was emergency certified and that was its its own whole thing and had babies and, and <laughs> all that during that time. So, it, you know, you look back and you say, how did I do it? That was certainly one of those times. But honestly, so is right now.
1: Sure. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's
2: how I got in the Awesome. So where are you
1: right now in, as far as in the field and what are you up to?
2: Um, So I still have my feet in or hands in a little bit of, I still do have my foot in a lot of different areas. So I have a couple birth to three early intervention clients, and I have a couple private uh, teletherapy clients through a small company. And my main job is at Pediatric Developmental Services or PDS as we call it and that is a contract company based out of Maryland near uh, Baltimore. And even though we're based out of there, we have opportunities all over the country and we're rapidly growing and expanding. And we do in-person as well as virtual. So I came on as a virtual SLP and said, this contract company is different because let's face it, not all contract companies are the same. Mm -hmm. And I've I have had some good experiences with with the ones that I've worked with and probably one that I would say don't recommend but um sure. you know. <laughs> that's a learning learning yeah. and you know I recognize too that, that that was my individual experience so yeah
1: and it could be a good fit for someone else that's that's what we like to say and why we have multiple companies on because there's probably a good fit for anybody
2: absolutely yep. And the time and the timing too mm-hmm. you hit things at the right time, then you might get a better rate or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so I started with their doing virtual with them in the school, and it just went really well. Apparently, the person before me, did, struggled to have kids attend. And they by the end, pretty much all the kids were attending on a regular basis. And it was really motivating. And I loved the team. And I just really felt like I was part of the school community. It was great. And then I started the next school year. And I did have, um, I started with that caseload, developing that and everything. And then You know, our fear is they'll find an in-person SLP. That did happen. But I called up PDS and said, hey, (laughs) this -hmm. happened. And they said, oh, well, they should never have told you. And they should have (laughs) us because we have three other options for you. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to be comfortable with a company and knowing that there's always going to be options. Right. Comforting. So I liked that. And then I had more interaction with the CEO during that time. And he learned more about my experience. And at that point, I'd been almost 20 years out in the field doing all sorts of different things. And so I just was bonding with him and everything. And I said, if you have anything that's more like a lead SLP or a trainer or whatever, then let me know, because I'm probably at the point in my career that I can do that. And I kind of skipped over a huge part of my career where I was working at Centennial School of Lehigh University, which is uh, a, <laughs> a private school for kids with severe emotional and behavioral disabilities. That So I had a huge amount of training with autism and behavior and also because it was affiliated with Lehigh University. I was encouraged to go out and present at various conferences and everything. So I've done a lot of presentations and things like that as well. And at state, local, and uh even Asha and an international conference as well. So it's just cool to kind of keep things fresh and then <clears throat> share what you're you're into with other uh colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, But anyway, so going back to PDS, then I, I ended up with another placement and that actually was a little bit challenging because the other worst fear is that you're not going to have somebody on like on site to support you. Right. And and also that the school district isn't going to fully support you. So I had to be creative. And again, everything sort of happens for a reason. But I had to be creative and do push in with some of the regional programs. So, in Maryland, not like Pennsylvania, um, they have enormous school districts by the county. And so, they have their own regional programs within that. So, this was a, an autistic support regional program. And I was able to push in and be up on the big screen with the special education teachers and really actually make it work. So, I I, as I went through and all of my experiences with teletherapy from COVID to uh, preschool and doing some virtual stuff, to we missed another part of my career where I was doing home base with the elderly and a deer, I was going in between clients and a deer ran in front of me. And so I was out on workers' comp and I couldn't work. I said, Hey, I'll do teletherapy. And that worked really well. And I loved it. And I said, Oh, this works for, the adults too. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And people are like, oh, the the adults, the technology is too difficult. No, it's not. That's part of the, the training is right. that and practice those skills, the problem solving and the ability to follow directions if you're not right there and everything. And also then getting family support and all of that, which I'm huge. I'm a huge fan of. So I, I had to do AAC stuff there and the large group and still had some small group that I was able to pull aside and you like their aides and everything were able to support. But I found that really with the push in, I got more buy in and then the teachers could see what the students yeah. were Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I push in is one of those areas that I feel like people are still like, oh, you can't do that until a practice. And I would have probably said that, too, that that's an area that feels hard to do until a practice. Do you have any, like, suggestions or how that worked or materials that you used?
2: So, um, actually, what I eventually I'm able was able to do is start doing trainings for our virtual therapists. And so I've done 16 so far, actually 15 in the first month of school, <laughs> uh, just to make sure our virtual SLPs were were where they needed to be. And the expectations were out there and that they had the training that they needed. So one of them actually was on the push in. And mm-hmm. so I my experience and a lot it starts with knowing what resources you have available at right. school and talking with them and seeing, finding the people who might have the buy-in and say, okay, yeah, let's, let's give it a whirl. Let's mm-hmm. try. And I always say, too, it's best to maybe start with sort of an observation where you're just kind of going to be seeing what's going on in the classroom because you don't want to come in and I recommend this honestly I've done presentations on that too about you know we as SLPs are we are we as SLPs are supposed to be really good with pragmatic language too so that includes reading the room and being able to know kind of where we should be asking questions and prompting and overwhelming people, like pressing a little bit or, or kind of hanging back a bit. And I think that being able to be part of the team and not overwhelm the system, if you will, of mm-hmm. the, the teacher who might already be stressed, especially if it is kind of a, a regional program or the kids have a lot of like a high needs, uh, population mm-hmm. that it might, you have to f- factor that in what your audience is, of course. So I think knowing that and asking them what their goals are for you in that situation and really getting them to be part of the team and then helping them as well. So if you, if they're having, uh, I, I, just an example, there was one student that I worked with that was having behaviors and she would dig her nails into the aide's arm and to the point where they had to wear arm like wrist guards and stuff. And so we talked about what that, what the function of that behavior could be and and giving words. And so we, we had picture cards and things like that, then reminders. So they, the teacher said, Oh, can you do one for gentle hands? And so I had that and was able to email and they just printed them out and you know it was something that they were able to use to to help so listening is a key part but i feel mm-hmm. like it's true in general with with all aspects of our field or all um i feel like that's true with all of the aspects of our field where we really need to be listening to our clients and the families and the teachers and you know the if like in the nursing home, the the staff and what what's where is the communication breakdown really happening? And how can we remediate that? I like
1: that. I like that. Mm-hmm. And you get so much more buy in when they can see that you care about the same things that they care about, and that you're there to help them in the classroom rather than just being like, I pull them out, I work on my thing, you work on your thing, and we don't ever coordinate with that.
2: Absolutely. And really, I'm a huge fan of the carryover right away. And I am a huge fan. Even when I was in the school, I actually was brought into Centennial for trying to integrate speech therapy. And so that was sort of my goal. I still would see kids in the privacy of the speech room sometimes, if they were more sensitive to criticism or feedback in general, or if they didn't want to be seen while they're working on something, or sometimes articulation, it's just easier to hear Mm -hmm. if they're pulled out. But a lot of my speech was speech therapy was integrated. And even if I did pull out, I would bring the kid back to class and in the hallway, as we're walking, we were talking about what we did and practicing it in a new environment here. Yeah. Uh, and then if the, this was a smaller school. So usually the aide open or the instructional assistant opened the door and they were, I said, oh, so-and-so, tell them what we worked on today. So right there, they're already practicing, and the, the torch has been handed over so that mm-hmm. the teaching staff then also knows. So I think with teletherapy, it's nice because they're sort of forced into doing that. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I just find it fascinating connecting to the classroom itself. And so... Just picturing that you're up on a, a screen, a monitor, w- looking at the class, or how how did it kind of w- look to you?
2: So again, every situation is a little bit different. Even sure. this, even classrooms within the same school were a little bit different, mm-hmm. depending on the, the size and the setup and the technology that was available. So I've had Things from one laptop with a few kids around it, and done rotational groups like that. Mm-hmm. I've been up on the big screen, the the smart board, and had the teacher laptop there um, next to it, and the kids would come up and talk, and that was like their turn, if you will. But oh,
1: I, neat.
2: yeah, but I would also engage them all the other kids so it was still beneficial for them and ask and then have them oh you know can you make a sentence out of so maybe the kid who came up was working on one word uh you know or verbs and then I'd have somebody else raise their hand and give me a sentence for that and then maybe someone repeat that or you know it the picture was ice cream and then I would say okay you know what's your favorite ice cream? And that person would answer. And then I'd ask the class, okay, raise your hand if you also like chocolate ice cream or something like that. So everyone is involved and they're staying on the same page. So that worked pretty well. And then I also will do thumbs up, thumbs down. So in a very, um, I'll do thumbs up, thumbs down in a way so that the... The person gets some feedback or agree or disagree if if there's something like that. But sometimes I'll have peers specifically give some feedback. Like I couldn't really hear that if it's something that the the student actually needs to hear. That no, it's not me not understanding or me not listening. And especially with kids with with autism or um, the emotional behavioral disabilities, I had some of that. And I actually went to technology even even then I used the iPad and I did the dictate and I had them read. That. Because, look, they can't understand you either. It's not me. It's, it's that
1: <laughs> right. That that's a great idea because I have I have a student with autism that I cannot see him on one on one sessions because I need someone to back me up when we have an argument. <laughs> <laughs> about whether something's socially appropriate or not. So I usually can count on at least one student who's going to say, yeah, we shouldn't do that because and then it's not just me that's saying it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Those peer models are, are key. And actually, I really like groups because of that. And I love to embed social and pragmatic language mm-hmm. in all my groups it's so funny. At the beginning of my teletherapy sessions, I'll, I'll just talk about the weekend and whatever. And then I'll ask the other kid like, oh, what did Johnny do this weekend? Do you remember? And he was like, oh, no. And I was OK. Well, then what what should you do? And then ask, you ask, him. ask yeah, them. you know, it gets them more used to listening to each other and mm-hmm. less about it's just me teaching you how to do it and just the drill. So I think it it again makes it very real world. And p- when people say teletherapy doesn't work or you can't practice social skills or you know oh this isn't real speech therapy, it it kind of irks me because I've seen it and I've done it and it it really does work. And I think you can use it for a uh, like pretty much all of the targets. You just have right. to be right. so yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. When you were talking about the smart screen, that reminded me, um, the school I have right now, it's a. s I'm in they have a small speech room, but it does have me on a big smart board. And mm. I had a problem though when it came to doing assessments because I had kids that didn't have great mouse control. So they needed to more like touch the computer than use the mouse to do it. And mm. I was on a big screen, so there wasn't a way to do it. So we finally figured out I connected to the big screen and a laptop. And then we used the camera from the big screen and put the kid in front of it facing the laptop so I could see where he was pointing on the laptop.
2: Exactly. So I had two
1: cameras, one behind him and one in front of him so we could make it work.
2: Yeah, that's, so, that's very helpful. And that's helpful with AAC. Yeah.
1: Well. Yeah. And Sometimes you so, got to get creative.
2: Yeah. So actually, we had a training on the self virtual administration of the self. And one mm-hmm. of our People who had done a whole bunch of evaluations was able to show us that you can increase the highlighter color and of the arrow and everything in the size, and so she was able to to show us how to really navigate that. But I hadn't thought about doing it on the big screen. I probably would just do it on the laptop. Yeah. So the
1: the kids were doing it on the laptop, but then I was viewing them from the big screen.
2: (laughs) Gotcha. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, But it really, you know, kind of going back to the the original question, it really does depend on what resources are available. We have yeah. somebody who the school who just reached out today, their school it doesn't have any laptops for us to use. So the company's mm-hmm. providing one and we're going to see how it goes. But we might need to not just provide other laptops, but also be creative and maybe just use an external mic and have three in the screen. Uh, in the same screen. So just play, I think a key element of teletherapy is just being flexible, expecting right. that things aren't going to work out exactly as planned. And for those of you who don't know, we actually had started recording this and their technology difficulties <laughs> in, in apparently how long? <laughs>
1: 192 episodes, the first mm. time that we've had to completely like stop
2: and restart an episode. <laughs>
0: Very true, yeah.
2: and that's amazing. One hundred and ninety-two. That's that's super impressive, guys. Way to go! Thank
0: yeah. you, thank yeah.
2: you. So sorry to be the the jinx. <laughs> no. no, no,
1: it's that it's that the the crooked road that ends up where exactly, exactly where we're supposed to be. <laughs>
2: exactly, and I think you know, uh, yeah, it's just part of of life in general. And I think teaching kids too that there will be some challenges, and you just. Right. Stay and kind of navigated and problem yep. solve, you can teach so much through through just how you respond and if you use your your language to narrate how you're thinking and what you're mm-hmm. like how you're taking in the situation, I think kids can really learn from that yeah if, if you problem just solving it and everything and oh we can't do it. we can only do it X, y and Z or we can only use Zoom. we can't use teams we can't use Google meet. Like you, you actually then just have to be creative and learn more and mm-hmm. figure it out. So, same with AAC. People say, "Oh, you can't do AAC with um, teletherapy." Yes, you can. You can work with kids with autism with with teletherapy. Yes, you can. <laughs> so, it's really about kind of getting the buy in and everything, mm-hmm. and and being creative and and having the patience and figuring things out. Well, awesome.
0: That's really what it comes down to, right?
1: Yeah.
2: So like you mentioned you
1: that you mentioned that you feel like PDS um was different than the other staffing companies. What would you tell people about what makes it different and why it's a place they should look into?
2: So PDS I think is stands out especially for its perks and its support. So their their rates are fair. They're not one of those um companies that will take a, take advantage of you I will say it depends on the contract and where you're located and where you're working not it's not a flat rate out there that people uh receive even from the the contract companies receive from the right. tricks and everything so I think that's a little bit of a misconception but in terms of rates and everything, but PDS pays you at basically like you're a school employee working virtually, so you don't have to, I say nickel and dime your your time mm-hmm. in in terms of indirect versus direct and everything. And so that that's a huge perk for for me. I worked for a contract company where it took me an extra couple hours a week just to go through who I was emailing where and when and treatment. And I'm like, i have already billed for them. Why can't that? Right. So to me, that was a lot of wasted time with PDS. It's they trust you that you're going to do your job. You're going yeah. to see the caseload and do all of the paperwork that's required. And and we we kind of expect excellence and you know that or we at least strive for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I think I I like that, too, that we were looking to be to stand out and have a good reputation. And we really do. And we have great relationships with our school districts. So there's that. They also pay for ASHA dues, which is awesome. They pay for state licensing. They'll do fingerprinting if you need to get licensed somewhere else. Maryland is kind of a weird state where you typically have to. Not always, but some school districts will make you go into their district to actually get your fingerprints done. So sometimes that's a little wonky, but uh, PDS realizes that and will pay for that. And I like, too, that there's the opportunity for... um, Sorry, I lost the train of thought. Um, I like also that there's the opportunity for virtual and in-person. So that's something nice if you want to start like, or for new grads who need to do their clinical fellowship year, you know, come for a year and stay in, in Maryland, do that. And then you can go back home or wherever home is, and then you could maybe work for the same district and just work remotely. So I think that's really great. We've had a lot of success with Turning things to virtual. And that's kind of one of my roles right now is supporting school districts that are transitioning to virtual, as well as supporting our virtual SLPs. And, you know, kind of along those lines, I mentioned all the trainings and everything. So we make sure that people, that our employees have what they need and feel supported. So we have those trainings offered, which are recorded, and we're in the process of getting uh, Ashes CE. Uh, accreditation or whatever it's called or applying for that which so, is not
1: a small task no,
2: exactly <laughs> so luckily I have support from the, the team at PDS for that because I said whoa <laughs> 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 I've a hundred wow. times I Still feel like I still feel lost but uh, yeah so lots of support we do one-on-one support as well and we have just a team of, of excellent people who have your back and will go even to districts and say, hey, this doesn't seem like it's a reasonable caseload. You know, what what tweaks can we make? And mm-hmm. usually because of the relationships that we have with the districts, especially in Maryland, because that's where we're rooted. They they're like, OK, <laughs> so it's it's much Better. I think I wouldn't want to, to work personally directly for a school district without having that support like in and I really did feel supported uh, throughout throughout my time working as a virtual SLP there. So and now I am, the, as I said, kind of the coordinator of virtual services. So I do the the coordination between the schools and the SLP. Uh, In terms of getting things up and running and making sure if there are any issues with the virtual speech therapists or they're having trouble with certain paperwork or things like that, I'll do extra training. Some some of the districts will reach out directly to me. Uh, We do have a new director of client services who started who's fantastic. And she is also kind of now taking over a little bit more of the interaction between the district and PDS so that I can focus a little bit more on the training part, especially with the ASHA uh, aspect. So, but right. we get to do fun things. Like we just had a training on chat GPT and SLP. So that was really neat. I had one of the virtual SLPs co-present with me. And yeah, so I like to kind of have things all cutting edge and mm-hmm. make it applicable. And yeah. Yeah. So we have that. We have a lot of support for clinical fellowship as well. And yeah, it's it's really cool. And then my other role is community liaison. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with, with this podcast is just letting people know a little bit more about PDS and the value that it, it can be and that hopefully people will be interested enough to either reach out to me or you know, apply on the website and, and everything, but I do recommend going through the people rather than necessarily applying on the, on the website, because I'm not a recruiter. So I just connect people. I like to say I'm a connector of people. (laughs) I'm (laughs) like, that's good. A connector of people. And yeah, so I'll I'll link you to to a recruiter if somebody's interested. But we have several recruiters, so rather than it going into uh, just a general system, this makes it a little bit more personal. And that I would say is a strength for a PDS as well that mm-hmm. it, it's personal, um, you know, personalized, and has a personal feel to it. So I I'm I'm happy there. I think it's it's a good company. I wouldn't be encouraging people to to be working there if they yeah. if I think it was a, a good company. But yeah. yeah. Oh, and also virtually we we supply, you know, access to Q Global and WPS. And we're we just today purchased the castle too. So that was a big exciting thing because we do mm-hmm. still have to give a couple other language assessments. But people the SLPs were were asking for it. And I came to my supervisor and said, hey, can we please? And it was like okay. And so that was a, a huge win. Again, you know, we listen to our SLPs and we yeah. want them to have what they want. We do an ultimate SLP subscription for all of them. And then usually builds okay. the fund as well. So then they can purchase whatever other thing they might need. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. Oh, and we do virtual happy hours at least monthly. So <laughs> I, a month. Hold on. Yeah. And a, what and a are those? <laughs> <laughs> next week uh yeah so and then we have like we had a holiday party too and wore ugly sweaters and things like that like just we try to keep it real and fun and yeah apples here and there and yeah so i it's it's a neat company i think it's it's definitely different and very mm-hmm. it's fun and more accessible i i feel like yeah so, and I, it,
1: it sounds like you guys are really like a close-knit group, that it's not just like, you know, this person's out there, they're on their own, and this person's in this state, and they're on their own. It doesn't sound like like that's what it's like for you guys.
2: Yeah, agreed. And I think that's what, what I've really focused on is really trying to make it feel like a community, especially with the virtual mm-hmm. LPS, who sometimes do feel isolated and yeah. It's hard when you're not physically in the school and you don't know and you, you're thinking like, what can I do? What should I be doing? How do I mm-hmm. do this? And again, going back to the read the room type thing, read the situation in the school, you don't want to be uh, the pain in the neck person who keeps asking and putting more on. But at the same time, you do need the help of the people in the school. So Right to to do that and even just bouncing ideas off for certain difficult cases and things like that or scoring things like am i just doing this because i heard this uh it's just nice because in a in a school if you were in person you might have more opportunity to interact
1: yeah with like the other slps in the district and things like that yeah
2: absolutely yeah
0: well
1: erica has
0: been great catching up with you. And uh, so how can people reach out to you or learn more about uh, the company?
2: They can certainly email me. Uh, my name or my email is Erica, E-R-I-C-A at com. And again, that's PDS as in Pediatric Developmental Therapy. And yeah, Erica, pdstherapy.com is a great way. And just mention that you heard me on the podcast and what you're interested in. And we do have lots of opportunities all around the country. Our website is not always the most up to date. We sometimes have more. And if people are looking in certain areas, we also are have a, a emerging sales team that is tackling various areas of the country too. So we can say, oh, let's let's do this one. We have, pe- we have someone ready to go. So sometimes that works really well for us getting contracts as well.
0: Well, great. Great and, and good luck with everything. It's all very exciting. Thank you. That was Erica Cappellini from Pediatric Developmental Services. I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Erica, and sharing all of your insights about telepractice. And thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Hey, if you work for a company, a telepractice company or some other company, and you would like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to me at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. And I'd love to talk to you. And so with that, thank you again for listening. We'll see you again next week. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.